The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, so we'll pick up with uh, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 11. This is right at the end of the uh, temptation in the wilderness. In verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him. Actually, verse 10 is cool. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Um, Now, Jesus has, you know, we're not going to redo the whole study of how Jesus handled the temptation, but here's what I want to kind of start with this morning, our first life lesson. Jesus, in that whole life lesson, teaches us to see temptation for what it really is. This is true of every temptation the devil will ever throw your way. It is always a lie. That, That is great insider information to know. Whatever he comes at you with, whatever he attacks you with, is not true. Uh, But we'll talk about why it has significance. We must replace every lie with God's truth. All right, so Jesus, the enemy would come, and he was quoting the Bible, so hence you and I need to know the Bible. We need to read the Word of God because you're not always going to have your pastor with you or your discipler or your mentor or uh, spiritually more mature brother or sister. You have to be able with the Word of God yourself to be able to come back at the enemy. All right? Uh, I do want to note this. It says, then the devil left him, which means Jesus won. Can I hear an amen on that? He won. He defeated the devil. And Jesus won because he recognized Satan's mode of attack. The same way Satan came at Jesus, he will come against us with lies and deception. He tries to deceive us. Uh, Primarily, Satan is a deceiver. And by the way, that's the only tool he has left now. Now that Jesus defeated him on the cross and by his powerful and glorious resurrection, he's taken every other uh, arrow that the enemy has away from him. After the cross, all he can use is deception and lies. But he gets away with a lot (laughs) with those lies and deception. So Jesus shows us the only effective counter to deception. And what is it? God's truth. It is God's truth, not man's wisdom. I want to exhort and encourage you, don't get into a mental head argument with the devil. Uh, Our wisdom, we're not that smart. The devil is really smart. He's been around for a long time. In fact, he goes back before even humanity was created in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. So he knows a lot, and I'm sure he he is obviously familiar with the Bible. Don't get into an argument and don't use man's wisdom. Just go directly. It is written. That's what Jesus did. God said. Dad said. Our Father said. And then it ends. Now, also, the devil attacked Jesus' identity. He said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, do this. If you are the Son of God, do that. He was seeking to create doubt, even in Jesus' mind, of his identity, or get him to do something separate from his father. 
Well, guess what? The devil, if he did that to the Son of God, he's definitely going to do that to you. Who do you think you are? You're no match. You're no holy person. You're a hypocrite. And he comes with all of these accusations and with all of his lies. And oftentimes, uh, he, he will try to come early in our lives. Because the devil's been around for all of human history, he, he begins attacking us. He doesn't wait till we grow up and get saved. He attacks us when we are young, when we're still not fully formed and vulnerable, and he can use people within our you know, own families or friends or people we look up to or respect, and he uses them to make his accusations and to bring his lies to us. A lie such as, you are worthless. You are not going to amount to anything. You'll never accomplish anything. You will never be successful. No one likes you. No one really cares about you. And in fact, you're stupid. You're never going to be able to get through in this world. And not only that, you're ugly. He attacks everything from the inside to the outside of our identity. You know, and we're, we're vulnerable to all of this. Now listen. It's a lie. Why are lies so powerful? Listen, when we believe a lie, we have just made a connection and allowed a demonic stronghold in our lives. Just like God had given them the promised land, but there were usurpers there that needed to be removed, that's what the enemy does. He plants a lie. Now, the lie is not true. But if you believe it's true, you have empowered what, if I may say it, these are demonic lies that, that build strongholds in your life, and they can become quite oppressive. So let me ask you this morning, what lie have you believed in? What lie did the enemy plant in you that even now you're grown, you're an adult, and you're here in church, so I assume that you love the Lord and you are a believer, but is there a lie that yet remains, hidden beneath the surface, below the hood, as it were, that you are still deceived by? You may intellectually know it's not really true, but I still say this, and I still do that. What are we to do? I want to give you a very quick outline of what to do. Number one, recognize it's from the enemy. Recognize that it is, this is a lie and recognize where it came from. You've got to know the root of it. It doesn't just have a human origin. That was a vessel, just like Jesus with the disciples, and he's saying, I'm going to go to the cross. And Peter thinks, he goes, no, Lord, we'll never let that happen to you. And Jesus turns around and says, Satan, I rebuke you. It was the devil talking, but he used Peter. He's one of the disciples at that moment. So we have to, be, we have to recognize that the enemy is bringing an accusation against me, and we need to renounce it. And we need to confess, because that's sin. To believe, rather than to believe God, but to believe a lie, that's, that's a sin. We need to confess it. Lord, I have just agreed with the enemy and therefore allowed a stronghold in my mind or in my heart or in my uh, spirit, and I just want to confess it, and I ask you for your forgiveness. But there's one more thing that you need to do. Now, if you do all those things, and there are many Christians who do that, okay, I know I shouldn't think that way, I shouldn't say that, I shouldn't believe that, okay, and then I confess, I'm wrong, oh Lord, forgive me, thank you for your blood, I'm forgiven. But if you stop there, you'll never enter into victory. 
There's one more thing you need to do. It's very simple, very practical, and I want you to note it or write it down. The last thing that we must always do is replace the lie with the truth. The enemy will come to you and say, you know what? Uh, you're, you're a uh, fearful person. That's just your nature. That's just your personality, and you're anxious. You've always been that way from the time you were little. You just worry a lot. That's who you are. That's your identity. And you're biting your nails. And you are fearful and anxious. And, and so, look, come to the place because the enemy uses fear and anxiety. And, you know, I think that God has compassion on this generation in particular. Because of social media, we, we know too much. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You know, 100 years ago, you knew a few things in your community, but you heard a few things about what's happening maybe somewhere else. But we hear everything that's every bad thing that's happening in any little community around the whole world. How many agree sometimes it's way too much information? So the, and so fear and anxiety, it's very, very much there. So you acknowledge, Lord, I have been anxious, I have been fearful, I ask your forgiveness, I, I agree it is wrong in Jesus' name. Now, speak, replace the lie with the truth. I want you to write down this scripture, because all of us could use this at one time or another. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Here's the truth. If you are a child of God, I don't care if you're a brand new baby believer or if you've walked with God for decades, here is the truth about your true identity. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There's not one child of God that gets an exception that, okay, oh yeah, you, I let you be fearful and anxious. No, we are not, we, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, which means authority, love, and a sound mind. Because anxiety can drive you crazy. So it's important to replace the lie with the truth. Now, the last thing I want to mention here is, how do we know this story of what happened between Jesus and, and the enemy, the devil, out in the wilderness uh, for 40 days? How does Matthew know that? Well, obviously, Jesus must have thought this important enough. He sat down all of his disciples and shared with them, because there were only two people in the wilderness, Jesus and the devil. How did Matthew know? It tells us that Jesus thought it was important enough to sit the disciples down and share with them, guys, I just was out one-on-one -on -one with the devil, and this is what he came at with me, this way, and then this way, and this way. And here's what I did. I responded with the Word of God. And by the way, Jesus responded with three scriptures from only three chapters in the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 6, 7, and 8. Very powerful. He knew. In fact, I wonder if Jesus had been reading Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8 in his daily devotion <laughs> and then was able to use that. So I encourage all of every child of God, don't wait till Sunday for you to crack open a Bible. You need to read the Word for yourself. Every disciple, every believer needs to spend a little bit of time in the Word of God daily, just like Jesus did and modeled for us. So Jesus shared it with the disciples, and they shared it with us. Okay, let's go on uh, to the next section of Scriptures, beginning in verse 12. It says, Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness, have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, let's go to our next life lesson. Um, I think if you were to summarize the theme of the entire message of the Bible, it could be summarized in this way. The entire message of the Bible is God's desire to establish His heavenly kingdom on the earth. By the way, in the, in the beginning with Adam and Eve up on the mountain in the Garden of Eden, did you know that heaven and earth were one? Only when sin came were they divided and separated. But the whole culmination of the kingdom, when it comes, is it brings heaven and earth back together. That's what we wait for, we long for, we pray for, and we seek to hasten the coming of His kingdom. How many of you want heaven on earth? We want to go to heaven, we want to bring heaven back to the earth. So when Jesus heard that John the Baptist was in prison, He began to pick up the same message that John had been sharing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. By the way, I think this is interesting about John. We've mentioned before that Jesus said of John the Baptist, of all those who have gone before him, there's none greater than John. Do you realize the company that that means? Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, all the prophets. Jesus says, you know what, though? Will you come to John the Baptist? There is none greater than John. Interest, two th interesting things about John. He never performed one miracle. He didn't do anything supernatural. And the second thing to note about John is his entire ministry of preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, preparing the way for Jesus, we believe lasted at the most six months. And yet Jesus said none who went before him was greater. I believe that that's very encouraging because sometimes we think the accumulation of lots of things that we did and places we went and accomplished and over long periods of time, but God's valuation is very different. I am quite sure that there are many of us who think that what we do is so small and, and insignificant in comparison to what God's plans are. You have no idea. <laughs> If I may put it this way, from God's perspective, whatever mission He has given you, there is no such thing as a small ministry or one that is little and significant or that He could do without. In fact, uh, giant gates and doors swing on very tiny hinges. In other words, you are important, as was John the Baptist. Now, it mentions that Jesus then went up and and made his headquarters this place called Capernaum, a little fishing village along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I think that would be special to Matthew for a very personal reason. That's where he lived. Capernaum was his city where he lived. And he goes, hey, I just want you to know, Jesus, the Messiah, Savior of the entire world, he came to my city. And that was the headquarters of his ministry. We also know that Peter had a home in Capernaum. But Matthew describes that this is, you know, Capernaum is in the north. Galilee is in the north of Israel. You would think that the Messiah would go to the south. Why? What's in the south? Jerusalem. What's in Jerusalem? 
the holy temple. All of the holiest people, the religious people, everybody that was valuing that and the relationship with God and the chosenness that God had for Israel was down in the south, down in Jerusalem. But Jesus goes, nah, I'm going to start my ministry. My headquarters is going to be here in the north. Now, he quotes Isaiah in verses 15 and 16, the land of Zebulun, Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Predominantly up in the north, it was a huge mixture of not just Jewish people, but Gentiles. And in the days of Jesus, why did Jesus want that to be his headquarters? Well, if you know the history of the region and territory, remember when uh, after David came and Israel was a superpower, his son Solomon ruled, and they were great again for another 40 years or so. But then after that, Israel divided in half. Uh, they had kind of a civil war, and they had rival kings, and the north were ten tribes and were called Israel in the Old Testament. The south was called Judah and only had two tribes. But what happened in the north is that those ten tribes there was a guy named King Ahab, and he had a wife named Jezebel. How many of you have heard of the name Jezebel? You familiar with the name Jezebel? Jezebel was from Sidon. And she came to King Ahab. He's the Jewish king of Israel. And she was so seductive and so influential that she led her husband, the king of Israel, the ten tribes, to stop worshiping Yahweh and turn their backs on him and begin worshiping her gods from her people, which were Baal and Asherah. And she led the whole north into apostasy and immorality, into paganism, idolatry, and witchcraft. And, and God had to raise up a prophet to bring repentance and revival to Israel, and that great prophet's name was Elijah, who would bring fire down from heaven and, and briefly turn it all around. And there was a brief revival when Elijah came and did that, but then they went back again, and finally God said, I'm done. I'm, you guys, you despise me. You don't listen to me. I've, you've broken my heart. I have reached out to you. I've done miracles and wonders. I've sent prophets, and you have rejected them all. And now you have the audacity to turn your backs on me, and you bow and sacrifice your own children to these gods. I'm letting you go. You are on your own. And what happened? The northern ten tribes were invaded by a power that had risen up. Yeah, they were pagans and idol worshipers, but the Assyrians came and destroyed North Israel and took many of their children captive and established strongholds of Gentile gods, goddesses, and power there. So that was the history. Later, Judah went into rebellion. They stayed for a while, but they too eventually rebelled, went to Babylon. But I think it's interesting for that now hundreds of years later when Jesus comes and he is coming to be the Messiah, first to the Jewish people, then the Savior of the world, he goes, where can I have my headquarters? Instead of going where we would normally think, to Jerusalem, the holy place, let all the spiritual people, here, I'll reveal myself to them that I'm the Messiah. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm going up to the north. I am going to the heart of darkness. I'm going to go where the breach first happened. I'm going to go where they first turned their backs on the Father in heaven and upon the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to grab my flag of the kingdom of God. I'm going to go into the heart of darkness, and I'm going to plant that flag right in the midst of all those who have lived in darkness. 
and a great light shall begin to shine here. It'll come to Jerusalem, but it's starting here. And literally, there is a place in the north called Caesarea Philippi where Jesus, this is where he asked the famous question, who do people think I am? Oh, so, well, there's people that think you're the Messiah. You know, some say you're Jeremiah or a prophet or Elijah or John the Baptist come back or whatever. And he goes, okay. Because he had, he had created quite a stir in the whole area of Israel in the Middle East. He goes, who do you say that I am? And Peter immediately said, we know who, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, wow, Peter, for you to know that and to confess that and say that, flesh and blood has now revealed this to you. My Father, you have the secret of the universe, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter makes that confession. That's the confession we all make that bring us into the family of God. Well, guess where Caesarea Philippi was? It was a very special location. It's where the gates of hell were. Literally, the gates of hell were in Caesarea Philippi. Pagans had worshipped there, and they believed that the gates of hell in Caesarea Philippi was the portal, the window from which the demons of the underworld had come forth and infested the whole northern kingdom of Israel. And Jesus went not only into the heart of darkness, he went to the very gates of hell, and he planted his flag right there. And, what he, and then he said, and on this rock I will build my church, and what did he say? The gates of hell shall not prevail. Can I hear Huh? So, literally, Jesus goes to the gates of hell where there are multitudes of people that are one to the devil and by the devil and living up in the north and rebelling still against God. And he is, it's like he grabbed the gates of hell and he threw them aside and he's entering in and he's going to grab every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl that is destined to suffering and separation and hell. And he's going to save them. And he's saying, there's not a thing that the devil can do about it because I own the gates of hell. And in fact, he gave the keys to people to death and to Hades. We have the keys and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what that means is there's no human being that is too far gone or too sinful or too lost in darkness that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ can go beyond those gates and rescue them and bring them out and bring them into the kingdom of light and into eternal life. Hallelujah. Now, in verse 17, what did Jesus start doing? Preaching. That was his main occupation. And then what does he preach? Repent. I want to I say this to you. Uh, everybody say the word repent. Repent. I hope that becomes your favorite word. We should be repenting daily and repenting the rest of our lives. It's a great thing. It's the first word of the good news. And let me tell you exactly what it means. It means I don't have to keep getting beat up anymore. I don't have to keep going into greater and greater fear or anxiety or darkness or let the enemy pound on my head or keep being pushed down. I can turn around. That's what it means. I can, I can head toward the glorious light and the land and the love of my Father which is in heaven. I want to share a phrase with you, and I want you to either write this down physically or write it in your brain, and that is this phrase right here. Obedience brings us into greater and greater light. The more you obey, the more light 
you will experience, the more light you will see, the more light will begin affecting you, changing you, transforming you, sanctifying you. Too many believers are stunted in their growth because of sin and compromise. Yes, they're saved. Yes, they've asked Jesus into their lives, and they have admitted that they are sinners, and they are truly born again. But they are walking around. They don't know really who they are in Christ. They don't walk in their authority. And they are, they're riddled, not unlike the people of ancient Israel in the north, with compromise and with sin. And they walk around like they're in a fog, all they, they, they look through, but it's like there's a mist. Uh, you can't see it with your physical eyes, but you look at them and you go, hello, is anybody there? Where are you? And they're, they're walking around in a mist, and it's, and, and it's a gray area, and it's a gray that is turning darker and darker and darker. And the Lord is wanting to break that spirit, because if the devil has lost the battle for your salvation, he will settle for nullifying your effectiveness and your witness. And he certainly doesn't want you to grow and be, go deeper or walk in freedom or the fullness of your identity and authority. So in the name of Jesus, we have to break through. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a great book, one of my favorite books. My wife, Vicki, we, we have loved this book. If you've never read it, I recommend it. It's written by a guy. Anybody heard of a guy named C.S. Lewis? I want to recommend, it's a little book, but read it. It's a great exhortation. It's called The Great Divorce. And in this book, he dis, it's a little vision, dream, analogy of people that in the world or even sometimes that are walking into, they, they, they like when it's dark. They like where it's gray. They like where, and they feel comfortable there. And anything that is real, that's full of light, they touch the grass. Oh, it hurts. Even the grass hurts my feet. I want something gray, something black, something dark where I can hide. And it hurts, but those who go through that, you know, oh, the grass, the more you keep walking on the grass and the, and the greater the light becomes, before you know it, the grass starts getting soft and your feet, like a little child, you start running in the, in the greenness and the beauty and it gets brighter and, and lighter and lighter. And the next thing you know, you're running and you feel life being poured into you from the light and you run to the light. Hallelujah. It's a beautiful story, a beautiful example, and it's what God is asking of us at this time. Okay, let's go to verse 18. And we'll look at the next section. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me. I love that. He didn't say, Follow my techniques. Follow my principles, although we follow that, but it's more personal than that. Discipleship is an intimate relationship. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and, and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, so two sets of brothers. God loves families to get saved. James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I want to talk about the call of God. Let's go to this next uh, life lesson. God usually calls people to follow him while they are busy doing something else. <laughs> so I want to say this. Your present occupation 
is not necessarily your calling. You have a job where you work, and it provides and puts bread on the table. That's great. But there's something above that, and I believe that the calling of God is not just for pastors and teachers and missionaries and so forth. Every child of God has a calling on their life. And wherever you work, God may be using that to prepare you for your ultimate calling. In fact, as you begin to be salt and light there, you are fulfilling and bringing a heavenly calling to whatever it is that you're doing. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. There is a mentality, whether recognized, formalized or not, that some people think, well, there's some people that are called to kind of do that pastor, preacher, priest, evangelist thing, and then there's all the rest of us who just come and kind of help support it. (laughs) But that's not really biblical. The Bible says there is a priesthood of all believers. You, every child of God, every believer, every disciple is a priest. Because the the vast majority of San Diego is not going to be coming to church. I wish they would, but they don't. But wherever you are, you know, there are thousands of people from Saturday night, 8.30, 10.30, you are all scattered in all these various places where you get to be salt and light. And that's where you get to, you get to be, you're a priest. You know what a priest is? A priest represents men to God, and he represents God to men. You, that's what you are. You help, you may be, because they don't go to church, they don't hear Bible studies, they're made in God's image, but they're lost. And you are the closest thing to seeing Jesus in the flesh in their lives. And you get, and it's a calling, and then you get to represent God to them. So Jesus calls the apostles while they're casting their nets. And so interesting, Saul, he was looking for his father's donkey. And the Lord said, nope, you're going to be the king of Israel. David was keeping his father's sheep. No, I gotta, I've got a higher calling. Uh, Amos was a farmer. And God said, actually, you're a prophet. Matthew was collecting taxes. And God said, no, you're to follow Jesus. Moses watched his father's, uh, father-in-law's flocks. God said, no, I have a higher calling for you. Gideon was threshing wheat, but God had something more for them. How about you? God has a calling on you and for you. Verse 19 says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This immediately suggests the idea of disciples following a rabbi. This was in Jesus' culture. What did it mean to follow a rabbi? It meant you literally followed him. You lived where he lived. You slept where he slept. You ate where he ate. And you imitated him, copied him, and let him teach you and emulate. And then you would go out and do what he taught you to do. In other words, what what Jesus did with those guys then is the model for us. Jesus is saying, I will show you you're all my disciples. I'll show you how to do it in relationship with me, and then I will send you personally to do what you have seen me do, and we will do it together. That's discipleship. I'm going to model it. I'm going to show you how to do it. Then I'm going to let you do it, and I'll do it with you in relationship, and I will be doing it through you. That's what it means for you and I. Notice also verse 20, they immediately left their nets and followed him. So question, when is the time to obey God? 
immediately. Do it, and do it now. I also want you to note following Jesus means leaving some things behind. You may have to leave something behind. The Samaritan woman left behind her pitcher. The Matthew left behind the tax table. Blind Bartimaeus left behind a cloak. Paul the apostle left behind the title of being a Pharisee. What is the Lord asking you to leave? It may not be that you have to leave your job. He may have called you to be where you are, but there may be some idea that you've held on to that's yours, and the Lord's saying, no, I have something higher, I have something better, something deeper, something richer, and a calling for you. Because if we hold on to our ideas of the way our lives should be, we cannot grasp the divine destiny God has for us. All right, so let's go to the last verses, and we'll… Uh, We'll finish up. Verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease among the people. And then His fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to Him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, and epileptics, and paralytics, and He healed them. Great multitudes, I guess they did, great multitudes followed Him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, all the way down south, Judea, and even beyond the Jordan into another country. If you have Jesus in your heart, the kingdom has come into you. And as His disciples, He wants us to use our kingdom power and authority so that He might flow in us and through us. He healed the sick. He says, now as my disciples, you pray, and all kinds of sickness and disease also will be healed. He had authority over demons. It reveals His authority over all creation. And so, this is the confirmation that we are His disciples when we do as Jesus did. So, we're going to put all this into practice right now. So, close up your notes, put away your Bibles. I'm going to ask Kayla, the worship team, to come out, and um, we're going to activate what we've been teaching. It's not enough that I just, you know, teach it and tell it, but right now, right here with you, as all disciples, we're going to do it. So, here's the first thing that I'm going to ask. If you are this morning uh, battling some illness, sickness, disease, whatever that it may be, and you, you need prayer, um, we want to pray with you and pray for you. But rather than just me do it, and by the way, I've been praying, we've been using communion and praying for people and at other times, and God has been healing people, testimony after testimony has been coming and saying, I got healed, Pastor Ray, will you pray? So, but it's not just about one guy. The model was that, you know, an anointed man of God, anointed woman of God goes, you get an arena, get everybody together, and through that one person, all thousands or whatever. And there's, that's good. That's awesome. That's beautiful. It's great. But I believe that God wants to add another dimension that that can happen among the priesthood of the believers. So here's what I want to ask. If you need healing this morning, or if someone you really love and care about, and they're not here but you want to stand in proxy for them because supernaturally uh, there's no boundaries. We can pray wherever they are. They can be in the hospital or at home, and we can pray, and God hears right now. But if you need prayer for any kind of illness, I want you to just stand up. Wherever you are, just stand up because we're going to pray for you in just a moment. You or 
proxy for anybody else. Okay, take a moment and look around at how many people need prayer. So here's what I want us to do. Everybody else that is seated, I want you to stand up and lay hands on those who are standing. In fact, those standing, you lay your hands because Jesus is in you too. And we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to come into agreement with me. All right? And we're going to exercise our authority. I've talked about our identity. Now we're going to exercise our authority uh, for healing. So I'm going to be modeling how to pray. I want you to be praying right now. Start praying for them uh, and be in agreement with me as you hear me pray because wherever agreement is, here's the principle of of the way it is in heaven. Two or three agree together, all the power and glory of the kingdom of heaven is available. God loves agreement because that's what his kingdom's all about is unity so let as we're laying hands so let's enter into agreement right now father in the name of jesus i come as the shepherd of this flock and not only for those here who are standing but lord any of that are listening whether to the radio or listening online wherever they may be but they need healing as well i bring them now into the throne room of our father in heaven and i come in the name of your son jesus of nazareth who died and was buried and rose from the dead and has conquered sin. And, and by his stripes we are saved, but who has also conquered all disease. And by his stripes we are healed. So now I'm going to exercise, we're going to exercise the authority you've given to us in your name, by your blood, by your resurrection power. And in the name of Jesus... I command, we command every illness to leave. We command every sickness to flee. We command every rebellious cell, every cancerous cell, every tumorous cell, everyone that is out of the line of your will as it is in heaven. So in the name of Jesus, may every broken cell collapse. May every cancerous cell wither and disappear Uh, dissipate. Lord, let it be removed. Let it be cleansed. Let it be taken away from them. Every illness and every sickness in Jesus' name. And now we invite the presence of your Holy Spirit and of your grace and glory, Lord, to come upon them and, and touch them. Touch their bodies. Touch their minds, their spirit. Touch them in their heart and within their soul. Touch them with your love and with your presence and let them know that you love them and that you made them and that you delight in them. And now as uh, Ezekiel, he prophesied and spoke to bones, now I'm going to speak to their physical bodies. In the name of Jesus, I speak to your spirit and I speak to the cells of your body, that every cell come into the alignment of the will of our Father as it is in heaven, so let it be in the earth. You made and designed every cell to multiply and to divide and to bring life and to bring health and energy and the flow of blood from head to toe, the rivers of life through the bloodstream that is in our bodies. And I pray in the name of Jesus you would activate right now every cell to life, energy, healing, fullness, recovery, and complete health from head to toe. Oh, Father, we thank you. We know we're praying. Uh, It's your heart's desire to make us whole, spirit, soul, and body. We thank you for your love, Lord, and your grace. And we'll keep praying as you keep touching us. We agree together in Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said,
Amen. Amen. All right. Give a big hug to everybody. Okay. Then be seated. And I've got to, I've got to, I'm going to ask one more thing. I'm going to ask who here this morning is, you, you, are, you are battling darkness. You're a believer, but you're battling something that is uh, spiritual, really. And you, you just have a feeling of being literally like this. You are being pushed down. You keep reading the Bible. You keep going to church. You keep, you know, uh, you, you love the Lord. You believe in the Lord, but you are under oppression. There's a weight coming upon you. Hello, you have an enemy called the devil and all of his evil spirits, minions. Jesus had to deal with them then. Nothing has changed. And it can also not only be oppression, it can be depression, especially if you've given in to believing and agreeing with those lies, and you're, you're like the guy on his knees, and the arrows just keep coming. <laughs> well, what do we do? We, need, we, we have been given authority over the demonic realm in the name of Jesus. You need help from your family, your brothers and sisters, to break that spirit, to break off that oppression, and he must yield, he must back off, and he has to flee when we resist him in the name of Jesus by the power of his blood. So wherever you are, you're going to have to be honest, open, and vulnerable, and I realize you're like, oh, the, the enemy is saying, hey, don't, don't stand up for that one. Don't let people know you're in a spiritual battle. Hello, are you a human being? Do you have a pulse? We all go through this. I'm going to ask you, if you're in a spiritual battle and you've tried everything else and nothing has worked, I, let, I think that what that says is the root of it is spiritual. We've got to go to the root and attack it there. So if that's you, stand up. Or if you know someone in your family who is in that for proxy, you stand up for the you know. It's, it's like, it's gnarly. And we need help, supernatural help. All right, so take a look around. Look how many people are battling spiritually right now demonic oppression or depression or whatever. So everybody else, look at them. Stand up and lay your hands on those who are standing. Lay your hands on one another. And let's come into agreement. We're going we're gonna to deal with it at the root, right here, right now, as the body of Christ. I want you to start praying and start agreeing with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have dozens and dozens of our brothers and sisters. We've all been there, any child of God, including you. We were attacked by the devil in the wilderness. And you gathered your disciples, and you told them the story. That's how we know about it, because Matthew wrote it in his gospel. So it's not new. It's not, you know, it's not just for a few. Everybody goes through this. But there are some that are really in the throes of demonic oppression, depression, attack. And Lord, sometimes we just can't do it on our own. You told the disciples, hey, sometimes, man, you got to go deeper. You got to, with prayer and fasting, go to the root to deal with that demonic stronghold. So in the name of Jesus, let's, we're all in agreement together in the house of the Lord today. We, re, we recognize these attacks, this oppression, this darkness, this depression is satanic and demonic, and we resist it. We recognize it, and we resist it, and we renounce it in the name of Jesus Christ, and we break Lord, that spiritual darkness over them, and we pray in the name of Jesus you would deliver them right now, that they must yield to your name, your power, your authority, and your glory. Set them free. I pray that they will experience right now and from this moment a lifting 
of their spirit, a setting free, that there will be a tangible experience of a freedom, of a breakthrough, of a lightness of heart, and that you will heal them mentally, emotionally, spiritually, Lord, that you will nourish them back to complete health and life. And we thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that these spirits must flee, they must yield, and they must leave us in Jesus' name. Now we pray for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. May you send, as Jesus' angels were sent to minister to you after that 40 days. We want to invite and ask that angels would come and minister to us to bring comfort and your divine protection, the awareness that we are your children and that we don't have to live in anxiety or fear, but we're surrounded with your glory and with your light and with your servants, the holy angels of God. Now, Lord, may we be free and may we be strengthened. Thank you, Daddy, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Stay, no, stand up. We're, we're done. But I want, look, I'm going to have Kayla sing a last song, but I'm going to ask, I'm asking. I don't want anybody to, you know, go run, get in your car, and head to Taco Bell or wherever you're going. So uh, I, this is not just the closing song, the last song, transition, whatever. We need to worship. We're in the presence of God. We just asked Him to come and heal and deliver, and, and He's moving, and we need, to, we need to worship Him. We need to worship Him and say thank you. Thank you, Dad. We love you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.